0: Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by a very special guest. He is the host of the Saturday Morning Slam and Jam. He's the host of the OKC Dream Team. He's the host of Down to Dung. Andrew Schlecht, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing awesome. How are you, Michael? Doing great. Did you have any cereal this morning? I know you have a cereal connoisseur.
1: Uh, no cereal this morning. I, um, I just had a cup of coffee. I went for a little run. Uh, trying to be healthier, and cereal it's hard to eat cereal and be healthy. So that's kind of where I'm at on I, May 2nd. We'll see where I'm at May 3rd, but that's where I'm at May 2nd.
0: We'll get some daily updates here. But <laughs> season report card, I wanted to get you on to talk about a few specific guys. I know that you are big Josh Giddy fan, one of the, his biggest proponents out there, but just wanted to get your thoughts on his season. First of all, what were your preseason expectations for him?
1: I thought he would get better. I I think he kind of has the mentality of a of a player that knows how to improve, and so I expected him to be better. And he definitely was. He improved in a lot of different ways, shooting and defense, and learning how to fit in with the team as well. And so, yeah. But preseason, I I kind of expected him to get better. That was kind of the bill on him too. Throughout the draft, it's like this guy wants to be great. And he wants to improve every year, and he's he works hard, and he's pretty humble, but he also has kind of, kind of a tenacity about him too. So uh, I expected him to be a better player.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I uh, going back to some of your game theory pods with Sam Vecini and other Slam and Jam ones. A big thing that he stressed on was just the his character and just betting on him as a person. So I definitely felt yep. like he was going to get better, and we saw a lot of improvement from him in just one offseason his first one in the NBA which is huge for guys development but his shot really improved my biggest question or preseason expectation was about him and Shea but as you've talked about and as we've talked about that's definitely a question that's been answered that he and Shea can play together they went up from 931 minutes together last year on the court shared to 14 11 so um, a lot of improvements there they went from a net negative like 10.5 to a net negative uh, 1.1, which is still negative, but still improvement.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge one. And a question that needed to be answered throughout the season. You know, the season started, and it didn't look great. There were a lot of games that Josh couldn't close. You know, like there was this little stretch where they played Orlando and Detroit and Milwaukee and Toronto, and it was like, boy, like Josh is like playing – Some of those games he was playing in the 20s, like against Toronto, they won the game. He only played 22 minutes, which doesn't seem right. They played that game in Washington that Shea hit the game winner. He played 20 minutes in that game and had 11 and 6. So it wasn't going great to start the year. And I think that's okay to say, um, but it's it's so much a credit to Josh that he figured out how to play within that because it really was – like, okay, it was a question, okay, who's the primary guy? And that was kind of a a big deal last season was who's who's gonna be the primary ball handler, who's gonna be more off ball, and it was settled, you know, right before Josh got hurt last year, they were gonna try Josh on ball more. And so it's like, okay, and that's where like the whole not plan A thing came from with Shea. and it was it was not going great to start the year. Because Shea had clearly come back a lot better player. And like I was saying, it's a huge credit to Josh that he figured out how to play within that. And it didn't take but a couple of weeks for those games where he's playing like 20 minutes a game to completely go away. Like He really started to figure it out and figured it out in a big way. And so I credit a lot of it to just his, his demeanor and then just his intelligence. You know, it takes... It takes a lot to learn how to play with somebody who's as good as Shea. It's not that easy. Uh, Shea is not as difficult to play with as some superstars are. But whenever you are a guy who the other team doesn't guard on the other end, especially at the perimeter, it takes it takes some time to figure it out. And even if we had gone through the whole season and it looked like the beginning did, I wouldn't necessarily be down on Giddy. I would, I would be preaching patience because the dude's 20 years old. But the fact that he figured it out within a few weeks is kind of astonishing. Like He's he's doing things that 24, 25-year-old guys do in the NBA, not 20-year-olds. 20-year-olds have bumps in the road that are a lot bigger than the ones that he experienced this year. It's kind of crazy that he can experience a bump in the road, take some time, zero in on the problem, figure it out, and then continue on. So I've I've been kind of shocked at how how good he's
0: been same here and also just the maturity level of taking a backseat to Shea which it is Shea's team and that would just be assumed but these guys all have egos he was a six pick in the draft he's handled the ball his entire life and most guys would kind of get in that power struggle and try to figure something out where it's like well I'd like to be the point guard but he's really adapted his role and a big point of that uh, as we get into the highlights and favorite moments of the season um, a big one for me is
1: just his consistency uh, on the boards yeah. Yeah, I mean best rebounder on the team by a pretty large margin and somebody that can grab grab the ball off the rim and push is essential to what the Thunder want. Um so yeah, his his rebounding is is going to continue to be a big thing for this team. A lot of people are like, well, we need to get a power forward, we need to get this, we need to get stronger, we need to get a big next to Chet. We're never gonna hold up against whatever team they want to talk about in the playoffs right now. And Josh is kind of an answer to a lot of those things. We saw the way that he played against the Pelicans in that playing game. I mean, it was he was a monster. And they're gonna continue they're gonna need him and he's gonna get bigger and stronger. I, I think that a lot of people when they think about this team, they think about who they are now and just kind of projecting them forward without a ton of improvement. Uh, especially with Josh, because people don't know how to think about Josh. But if Josh is twenty now, like, what does a twenty-five-year-old Josh Giddy look like? I mean, he's gonna be a beast—a full beard, and burly, everything. I'm waiting for the beard, man. It's gonna happen. It's it is going to happen. Yeah. He's he's got he he has it. He has it like in his holster right now. I'm just waiting for it to be unveiled. We'll see if that happens this next year. But yeah, I. I think people underrate him to a large degree and rebounding is not the the coolest stat. It's not one that that gets a lot of people excited, but he had some, some big time rebounding games,
0: especially when you're not skying for him. Like he's not, it's not like Russ just crashing the lane and just grabbing out of thin air. But uh, what were some of your favorite moments of the season from him?
1: I mean, the, the triple double in uh, New York was, was very cool. He always plays really well at MSG, so like that was really fun. I thought he played so well. Um, there was a Lakers game that he played; they actually lost that game, but he played really well. He had twenty-seven and seventeen in that game. Uh, I think about the the moment that Dort it was against the Pistons there at the end of the season, and Dort had that jump ball and. Giddy missed the shot, but Giddy also was the one who kept the ball in play. He was trapped in the corner, found his way out of it, got a shot off. If he wasn't able to do that, J-Dub isn't the hero of that night. And I know that J-Dub is the one that's seen as the big hero, and he should be. He made the shot. But Giddy put them in position to do that, and some of it was a little bit of luck because if the ball bounced a different way, then we're not talking about this at all. But just the fact that he was there to make a winning play and using like his just his intelligence you know like those were those are like just a few snapshots but there's a lot i mean the guy was incredible so those are just those are a few that i thought of i thought of just his hot streak from around december
0: 1st to february 1st he averaged 17 and a half points per game 8.3 rebounds and six assists on 51 37 84 shooting on a little over three <laughs> yeah. att- uh, three three threes attempted per game and that stretch was just That's incredible sick.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I remember that. You just kind of were waiting for it to end. It was like, man, what is what has gotten into Josh Giddy? Like, he's he's incredible, and you wondered, is this is this real? Is this the way he shoots? Like, no, like he came crashing down at one point, and then you know, I think some people may have felt a little disappointed with how he ended his season, but thirty two and a half percent, I think anybody would have taken that. I think a lot of people, I think. The assumption before the season by some was that he was going to shoot below 30%. And that's a that's a fair assumption to make. I mean, he shot 26% from three the year prior. So if he even shot 29%, like that's an improvement. But to get up to 32%, it's respectable. And he's confident. That's the number that's like the number one thing for me. Is like continue to be confident. Because if you're not confident, you can see it. And that that's the thing that will kill somebody's shot faster than anything. It's just not having confidence.
0: Absolutely. And he's proved to uh, everyone in the league that he's not a non-shooter. He's somebody you have to at least close out on, which I think is a big deal because, like you mentioned with confidence, if you're out there shooting and they throw the ball to you and everybody turns their back and is immediately looking for a rebound, that's probably not a good sign. But Josh was really great this year. And then another highlight of the season, I would say, is the first play-in game against New Orleans where in a yeah. game with Brandon Ingram and Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the floor, he looked like the best player for a majority of the night.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just was playing really physical and really confident. And I don't know, you can't ask for much more than that. And then on top of that, he
0: tried to um, fight Josh Richardson was another fun moment just from that game. Not
1: really hey. basketball-related, but we take it. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think it is basketball-related. I think it is. I think that you have to have... To show that mentality at such a young age on the court, I think is a big deal because we're seeing stuff like this is happening in the playoffs almost every night where someone's getting hit in the nuts or something's happening and how you handle it and react to it is meaningful to the team. I think it kind of shows what kind of fight you have. And so I, I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was telling for the, his personality. I think it's good. I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that as he, gets older and more confident in just his personality on the court we'll see more of that and we'll see more of that fire you saw we saw a lot of it um when he was playing uh for adelaide i mean he was a f he's very feisty and I feel like he tempered that a little bit last year and I feel like we've seen just a little bit more every year but i i think we'll i think we'll see more of that next year for sure
0: yeah that's a good point Josh is not outwardly just somebody who you would think is just this fiery competitor but when you really look in between the lines and the details he's somebody who's out there to kill people even if he's not scoring 30 points in a game it's it's different to have a guy with a killer mentality as a passer but that's exactly what he does moving on to the Mm -hmm. other side of things what were some of his low lights or lowest moments of the season
1: yeah i kind of touched on it earlier but it was just his inability, not his inability, it was Mark not trusting him to close games early on. And they were trying to win those basketball games. And they decided that the best course of action was to uh, sit him down. And so that was concerning at the time, and those were definitely low points for him. But he started to figure it out. Like I said, it didn't take him too long. But there was a stretch there where Josh wasn't playing last five minutes of a close game and um that's definitely a low point for him. It's kind of hard to imagine that now that they wouldn't want him in there, but that was definitely a part of his season. And that's another de- uh, testament to his mentality that
0: a lot of guys that could really go sideways. If you're in your second year, you were um second team all rookie and then all of a sudden you're just getting benched to start your second year. I think that would be mm-hmm. a big thing for a lot of guys and, definitely break their confidence but it didn't for him it really just helped him focus in on the things that he needed to work on but some of the low points like you mentioned was that and then just that point in the season where everybody got really low on him right before he had that shooting breakout that we just talked about where people were it's like well can you even win with him and Shay together you know was J-Dub better than him should you move on from Josh and I think people forget so often just how young he is that he just turned 20 but he was Really, really good this season, even through some of those bad stretches.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And Pressy talked a ton about this kind of stuff uh, a couple weeks ago, where they embrace these difficult moments as a team. And Josh, you could see that he did as well. That they they want to take those challenges head on uh, in order to get better. Because that's how you get better is you kind of embrace the hard times and figure out what you can learn from it and then move on. And so, yeah, that's I think it's it is definitely a really great character trait because there's a lot of guys that can't do that. There's a lot of guys that have struggled with that through the years, and those guys typically just don't make it. Um, So, yeah, I think if you believe in Josh Giddey, you know, pointing to those things is, is part of why.
0: What would you grade a season? Uh, as Joe and I talked about earlier, this is grading on a scale. Josh's responsibilities, his A compared to an A for a guy who just comes off the bench and plays a role is not the same level. Uh, but what would you say? Uh,
1: how would you evaluate Josh's season? I, I mean, when when you look at where he was last year compared to this year, I mean, he improved in almost every way possible and it's hard for me to not give him an A, because I mean, you don't want to give everybody an A. You almost want to like hold yourself back from giving guys A's. But to go from forty-one percent from the field to forty-eight percent from the field, to improve his three-point shot as well, twenty-six percent to thirty-two, he improved slightly as a free throw shooter. That's that's the one area that he's got to get better at is not only shooting it better, but he's got to get to the line more. You know, he got to the line like. In a at a slightly better rate this year, but if he wants to be an All Star caliber player, he's got to he's got to get to the line a lot more. Um, but I feel like he improved as a passer. He improved as a rebounder. Those aren't necessarily reflected in uh, in this in his stats this year. But I do think that he's just become a much smarter player overall. Um, and then obviously points per game has increased a lot. So if his sh- his shots too. Um, I'll give him an A. I just think that he, he battled adversity. He got better and he really cemented himself as I, I, I think he's one of the most important players for the Thunder offense period. I think he's one of the reasons, not only not his shooting, but his ability to get the team into the offense. Uh, I think there's still some doubters about him. There's a lot of people that believe in other players on this team more than him. And that may end up being true. But I don't think that there's anybody on the team that gets the team into what they want to run more than Josh Giddy. And so um, with that, yeah, i will give him an A.
0: He's way too good to be considered in this category, but he's just at the highest tier of just connectors in the NBA as a guy who can just yeah. stir things and get the you know, offense going. It's not always with him shooting, but you can just feel the rhythm change when he's in the game compared to when... Shea is, is kind of operating most of the time, but I'd give him an A minus. I'm with you. I think the physicality is a big thing because we saw it a lot at the end of the season where it just kind of like he realized that he's a lot bigger than most of the guys guarding him. And I wish we'd see a little bit more of that physicality going into next year where he gets to the line and just uses his frame a little bit more.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely room for improvement, large, a large amount of room for improvement. But for him to take the leap that he did, I think it's gone under the radar I think people don't still don't quite get it and a lot of it is he's a 6'8 white guy that is unconventional he's not that athletic he doesn't do things that super stand out outside of his outstanding passing but he is a winner I just like firmly believe that and I think he's going to continue to get better it'd be weird if he didn't continue to get better because he is so young and he's a He's fully bought into the Thunder program and I mean we've seen how Shea has been able to blossom as a player uh under this like Thunder regime. And I'm not saying that Josh is gonna be as good as Shea. That would be I mean, we'd be taught we'd be seriously talking about them being in the conference finals very soon if he if he could do that. But even if he is <clears throat> like a like a low level All Star, kinda like Draymond, not to compare their games, but to compare their roles on the team where he's kind of like the third banana who is kind of orchestrating everything cuz like the warriors aren't the warriors without Draymond. The Warriors offense isn't the Warriors offense without Draymond. Steph is probably not the best version of Steph without Draymond. And I think that that will be something that will be true about Josh Giddy down the road. Because like the the thunder won't be the thunder without Josh. And a lot of people even Thing. I even saw somebody tweet at me this morning that Josh doesn't fit the Thunder. I'm like, what are you watching? Like, what did you what did you watch all year? Because I, I that's not what I saw. I saw a team that that needed him. And are there times that he has tunnel vision? When the worst the worst part of his game is when he gets tunnel vision and decides that he wants to be a scorer only, and that not only is not good for the team, but it takes the it takes the the Thunder out of their offense probably faster than anything else. So Josh is is so instrumental that he can put the Thunder exactly where they need to be, or he can take them out faster than just about anybody. And so that's just a part of kind of learning and refining his game, is learning to pick his spots a little bit better. But I don't know. I think there's there's a pretty big ceiling on this guy.
0: Yeah, still plenty of time for him. This is a sort of similar questions, but what would it take for him to get a better grade next season? I mean, he's an A right now, so... A-plus would be something remarkable. And then what is something you'd like to see him focus on in the
1: offseason, just working on in his game? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's just shooting. Like, he just has to be a better shooter for this team to be optimized. Uh, and it's all about what does the defense care about? Like, how can we bend the defense more? And Josh is going to... Right now, teams are... I mean, the Pelicans, they they paid the price for it and minnesota won you know partially because of it it's like okay josh like we don't believe you can shoot it like flat out we don't believe you can shoot it so good luck and if he makes it great and if he misses you know like you just it comes down to make or miss at that point and you don't want that you don't want to be that and so he's got to bend the defense somehow because once he once that happens if he can shoot 35 36 37 percent from three consistently and teams are like okay scouting report says we got to guard this guy when he's open on the perimeter and they close out then he can sidestep he can find guys you know in pick and roll better like the pick and roll will work a lot better with a guy like chet if you have to pay attention to josh uh it's tough when people can go under every single screen and not worry about you taking the shot. But if they worry about that and they have to either fight through it or they have to switch, then it changes everything about your offense. So to me, it's just all about the shooting with Josh. I think the other stuff will come, and then the free throws too. Like He just has to figure out ways to... He drives a lot. He finds his way to the hoop a lot. He does not find fouls very much. And so those are definitely ways... That he needs to improve, uh, certainly, his shooting and then getting to the free throw line. He hits them with enough consistency. He needs to get better at that, but that's also shooting.
0: Yep, shooting 7% increase from 3 just percentage-wise. I thought it was pretty incredible for him even just to improve that much on a quick turnaround where the higher chip back in July, so he at most had two months of working with Josh, over the off season mm-hmm. to really work on these things. And I thought that was really impressive. And then on the other end, I mentioned the added strength. This is a question I asked him in interviews about posting up a little bit more. I don't want him to be Al Jefferson or Lamarcus Aldridge, but as we talked about, they put CJ McCollum on him in the play and they put Mike Conley on him. And if he can take advantage of those matchups and score in those types of situations or get in a situation where they have to double him and he gets extra passes, I think that could be really great for the Thunder offense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll see more of that too as he continues to get bigger and can kind of operate at the nail a little bit more. And then again, it's the scoring stuff too. Like he's he's got good touch around there. Can he find uh consistency with his just like jump hook or something like that? And if he does, you know, it'll help the offense quite a bit too. Just and give it another look.
0: Last little small thing on Josh is that I'd like to see a little bit more flexibility from him just Physically just on his handle and things. Sometimes it feels like he dribbles a little bit upright, but that's just a little nitpicky thing
1: Yeah, it's he he definitely Struggles with his handle and you can see he doesn't trust it all that much Especially once they get into their half-court offense because he will pick the ball up almost every single time once he hits the the three-point line and just kind of survey the floor and You'd like to see him kind of keep that dribble alive just to keep his options open but I think it's also an area that I I agree. I think you're right. He needs to get better as a ball handler, period. Um because that'll open up things to a little bit more. But yeah, I think I think that will come in time. I think he has gotten better than he was last year um marginally, but you know, he'll he'll get there. I th- I don't worry too much about that long term, but it is definitely something that you can you can see during the games.
0: I agree. Well, moving on to Kenneth Williams, same question. What were some of your preseason expectations for Kenny Hustle?
1: Uh, Kenny Hustle is going to be Kenny Hustle. He's going to bring intensity. He's going to bring leadership. uh, Some shot making from three. He shot it more in the mid-range this year than I thought he would, and he was fine there, but uh, he just kind of will fill in the gaps. And so he did that very well when he played for this team, especially at small ball
0: five. I agree. I had just continued to be the security blanket off the bench. I called him the baby center of a lot of those bench lineups where he would just kind of keep yeah. guys just in shape of where they need to be. And he really bolstered a lot of those bench units. But moving on to um, our favorite moments, I agree with you. Small ball five Kendrick lineups were definitely
1: the highlight for me. Yeah, no question. I thought, I mean, obviously the numbers back it up that they're very effective. Uh, they were the best lineups for the Thunders when they had Kenrich at five. So, I mean, it's a shame that we didn't get to see it executed down the stretch. I think they would have won some more games down the stretch and maybe gotten into the playoffs uh, had they had him. But it's also okay to just see the young guys battle it out there at the end of the season. But to have that option <clears throat> when Chet gets here, I think they'll they'll play – Kenrich and Chet together, um, I think quite a bit, and then just to have Kenrich as your as an option for backup center too, I think is really helpful. Uh, His mentality, man, like he's he is something else. That he's one of my favorite guys on the team to talk to, Um, just because he's so down to earth, which is not a term that I think it's probably overused with with players, uh, but he truly is down to earth more than any NBA player I've ever talked to. Uh, he is very thankful and fully aware of what his situation is. And um, he's kind, he's generous with his time. Um, yeah, that, that that's one of my favorite guys on the team. And I like a lot of the guys on the team, but he's probably my favorite one to talk to.
0: Yeah, I think you could be like a bartender or a waiter for Kenrich and talk to him for an hour and he would never yeah. mention that he's a multimillionaire playing in the NBA.
1: Yeah, he does not he does not I've I've met a few millionaires in my time. He does not he's not the same as the the other guys that have the kind of coin that he does.
0: Not at all, but just um, some things that the team missed from him. Just some added nasty and physicality and just some maturity. I mean, he's only a few years older than these guys, but it feels like a lot. And I feel like you could just feel some of the defensive
1: intensity, especially fall off once he had his injury. Yeah, it would have been nice to have he and Dort out there at the same time, because Dort really brought it at the end of the season. And... They were just kind of searching for others that could. You know, I think that game in Indiana, just they were tired. One, they had just played a billion games in the month of March, and that made it really tough. But I think having just that extra lift from Kenrich on the court, because he's there and he's trying to pump the guys up on the bench, but it's just different when somebody's playing alongside you. And so they really could have used his punch. Um, either off the bench or starting or however they were going to handle it, probably off the bench, uh, just to kind of keep the intensity flowing. Because I think Dort brings it. I think he. I think that Kendricks obviously brings it too. Um, but yeah, they, they really kind of needed that. But it also gave them, I mean, there's a blessing in disguise for almost like every bad situation. And for the Thunder, it was you got to see where the deficiencies are. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing for a young team is to kind of figure out where where are we not good, where are we not enough? You know, and they get to figure out over the summer like if they can fix those things internally and they get to figure out over the course of the next couple of years like can we fix the problems that we have internally? You know they're gonna add draft picks like that's gonna happen. They may add a fringe player here or there but when we're talking about the core of the team. How do you fix the problems internally? And can you? You know, They reached a point with the first Thunder iteration that they couldn't fix the internal problem of just like physicality up front. They couldn't fix it. And so they had to trade for Kendrick Perkins. And Kendrick, Kendrick Perkins changed a lot of things for them, but it was an external fix. And so when people talk about like oh the thunder should trade for this guy or they should go get that guy or here's how we fix this problem that problem, I think they really want to see can we fix it internally first before they try to go solve a problem that may may be solved in a matter of months by itself. So, um, I don't know how I got to talking about that something about Kenrich, but oh Kenrich like absence being a actually a good thing yeah, um, but yeah Ken Kenrich he's gonna come back. He's going to solve problems for them, you know, physically. I think it's going to help having Kenrich next to Chet at times. I think that that is something that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is that playing those two, like those two can play together pretty easily because Kenrich can play with anybody, but especially with Chet, I think that he'll, he'll help Chet out quite a bit.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the Indiana game because Joe and I talked about that a while ago and I was like, is there any way we can just have Kenrich like a linebacker where you just like wrap up his arm and just have him out there just for a few <laughs> minutes, just see what happens. He doesn't have to shoot or anything.
1: I know. I know that that game was so frustrating to watch. Um, but looking back at it, it is definitely like a good touch point because if they lost or if they won that game, I think that it's easier to overlook problems whenever you win. And there's like big problems with this team, you know, when it when it comes to like physicality and just like them being ready to win. They lost a lot of games that they just weren't ready to win yet. And that's okay. I think that's okay. And Mark really gave a lot of those games outside of like the Charlotte game, and we don't have to talk about the Charlotte game. But he gave a lot of those other games like his best shot. And whenever you give those teams your best shot, you have to live with the results. Like, you can't, you can't, you know, beat yourself up because of it. You have to figure out what you can do to get better. And losing to that Indiana team is, to me, that would be something that I go back to a lot if I were those players that are out on the court. Like, okay, we've got to, we have to win that game next year, you know? Like, we can't, we can't lose that game at the end of the season next year. Uh, so, No, not at all.
0: And a game that they would also like to have back, I think, and this brings me into the lowest points of the season for Kendrick, is the game on TNT against the Miami Heat. And I would say one of his lowest moments was just the the free throw line there.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It goes a little bit under the radar because he doesn't take a lot of free throws, but he is a bad, bad, bad as a free throw shooter. Uh, he only took 39 free throws in 53 games. So this is why we don't think about it <laughs> because it just doesn't even happen every single game. But, I mean, he's a career 52% from the free throw line. I mean, that is, that is that's about as terrible as it gets. Some of it is like low sample stuff. He, like the most he's ever taken in a season is 63, and that was in 66 games. That was his first season with the Thunder. Um, he shot 57%. Shot forty three percent from the free throw line this year, seventeen of thirty nine. I don't know what that is. That is weird, especially for a guy with the mental makeup that he has, and the fact that he shot it, you know, thirty seven percent from three. I mean, he's he's creeping up toward his number at the free throw line from three. You know, he should sixty he shot sixty percent from two. I mean, it's pretty weird for a player to shoot better from two than from the free throw line. That is unusual. There's just, There can't be that many players in the league that do that, and Kenrich is one of them. It is, it's a weird wrinkle that I think is going to pop up, <clears throat> especially when we talk about closing games, because if we want Kenrich Williams to close games for this team, they will they're going to hack him. It's going to happen. It will come up. And it will rear its ugly head, and he will go to the line, and he will doink some free throws, and people are going to be pissed at Kenrich Williams. That will happen, and um, I don't, I don't know what he needs to do to correct that, but he definitely needs to.
0: One thing that I thought about with correcting that, and because I played with a guy in college who did this, who was a bad free throw shooter but a good mid range shooter, and Tracy McGrady did this, is just like just take a shot off the dribble, just back up and take a shot off the dribble, and I think that yeah. maybe that would be a little bit more in his comfort zone because I think some guys do get a weird mental thing whenever you're doing a standstill shot where you dribble three times, spin the ball instead of, like, a regular basketball move.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe he needs to do, like, turnaround fadeaway at the free-throw line, you know? <laughs> we need, yeah, I we don't, need
0: a step back from the free-throw line.
1: <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to correct that. And maybe he won't. I mean, there have been a lot of bad free-throw shooters throughout the history of the league... You know, I think about, I mean, and this is probably not a a terrible comp for him, is Bruce Bowen, um, who played for the Spurs uh, for a long time and was real bad at the free throw line, career 57% from the free throw line, and shot 39% from three, you know, mostly because he shot wide open corner threes, because he played with some of the best players to ever play the game. Uh, but he just thrived as this defender, similar to Kenrich, a guy that could hit threes. But they would hack him, they would put him to the free throw line, and he missed a lot of free throws. He was not good, and so I it and he could never correct it for whatever reason. He had seasons where he shot a little bit better than others, but overall, he didn't take a whole lot and he missed. A ton of them, and I think Kenrich is similar. But if you were to tell Kenrich Williams, "Hey, you're gonna have the same career as Bruce Bowen," I think he would take that every day of the week. And you, and if you're the Thunder, and you say like, "Hey, we have like the next Bruce Bowen on our team," like you you take that as a role player. Like, yeah, like that guy helped them win titles. And so you know, you got to take. It's a give and take with role players at, at all times in the NBA. There's no perfect role player. If they're perfect, then they're not a role player. And so it just kind of is what it is. Absolutely. And we got into a lot of the things that we'd want him to improve.
0: But what was your overall grade for him this season?
1: I mean, probably a solid B. I mean, he didn't do anything crazy. He didn't have like crazy scoring outputs or anything. But like he just is a a consistent presence on the team. Um, I hate that he got hurt. You can't hold that against him. That just happens in the league. Uh, It happened at a really bad time. It was one of the, that was the low point of the year for the Thunder was Shea got COVID and Kenrich broke his wrist. And a lot of people thought the Thunder would pull the plug on the team and just like try to go and get like the eighth best lottery odds or whatever and just be done with it um but you got to give credit to the to the team and the coaching staff that they didn't do that and that they really um push themselves forward so
0: yeah i'd like to see the google trends uh, of tankathon spins just during that stretch whenever they lost Uh, five games
1: uh, that's a good point that's a good point yeah it's pretty significant at the at that time for sure
0: But I had a B-plus on him as well. I didn't know last year he didn't start a single game. He started 10 this season. I just thought that was weird. But, yeah, B-plus for him. And then the last guy that we're going to talk about, I know this is what everybody's been waiting for, Alexei Pokushevsky, Andrew.
1: Oh, Poku. uh, What were your
0: expectations for him in the preseason? It's hard to expect anything from a guy who um, is so unpredictable. But did you have any thoughts on him going into the season?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I... I really like Poku uh, ironically, mostly Um, he's just, he's just such a, a strange player. Seven feet. He handles, he's probably more of a wing, but you can't really play him on the wing. So he's really a big, but he's also a wing and he is just as weird as it gets. And he's awesome. I thought he would improve from three, just because I thought his strength would improve, and it, he did get stronger, and his three three ball did get better. So, like that was something that I thought would happen. Uh, one of my bold predictions was that he'd shoot thirty nine percent from three. That didn't quite happen, um, but that was a bold prediction. He did shoot thirty six percent from three this year, um, but other than that, you just you don't really expect much. You just you just ride the wave of Poku. You just you just let it let it ride and, and just see where it takes you.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Just wanted to see um, some added stuff to his body. I didn't want to see him go to the blue, and I don't think he did outside of just recovering from his injury, which was just kind of yeah. out of control. But um, mm-hmm. just tightening the screws for him and less of those uh, shacked-in-a-fool type plays.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if we remember back to training camp, I had asked Mark about the tightening of the screws comment and he said they're tight. They're tightened and they started him game one. You know, it's easy to hate on Poku. It's the easiest thing to do. He's he looks like an alien. He's got crazy like he's really tall lanky skinny as anybody in the league and he has a weird game and he makes loud mistakes. but. The guy has gotten a lot better since he came into the league and he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. He's only 21 years old. I don't think Poku is going to become some superstar. It's funny. I guy yesterday just like tongue-in-cheek. Somebody asked me like, wh- wh- who's, like who are the untouchables on the team and I tongue-in-cheek just put Poku in the list and the responses were so funny because they range from thank you for believing in Poku because I still believe in him too, to cursing me out because they think they can't believe that I put Poku in there. And like, it's just, I'm just joking about Poku being in there. Obviously Poku is not untouchable when it comes to trades for this team. Um, Truthfully, like Shay is really the only untouchable when it comes to trades for this team. Um, And even Shay like can be traded for somebody that's better. He's not the best player in the NBA, You know, there's probably a world that exists where it's like, Hey, we'll give you five first rounders and Luka Doncic. Like, would you say no to that? Like, no, like, yes, you do that. It's not untradeable. It's just like, like realistically, are they tradable? And Poku, I don't know that any other team is like salivating to get Poku on their team. Uh, I would say that they're not, uh, but I do think I do think it's I wouldn't slam the door on Poku yet, is is I guess where I'm going with all this. That I don't think it's time to just end the Poku experiment. He's not been great. There's a lot of lineup data that says he's not good. I don't think that's all his fault. I think that he did improve in a lot of ways as a shot blocker, I think as a as a shooter, as a decision maker, I think he improved. Um but there's still a long way to go for him.
0: So you don't think there's going to be a Poku sweepstakes like a uh, Giannis's free agency or LeBron or Durant
1: anything like that? Oh, that would be my dream. Oh my gosh, I would love to see a Poku sweepstakes where people are just whining and dining Poku at or the Hamptons, just... yeah. Oh, we get we get Poku in the Hamptons. Oh, that would be glorious. That would be beautiful just to see Poku thrive like that, but I don't think so. I I don't I don't even know. You may have this as one of your questions, but I I don't know what's going to happen with Poku's next deal. I don't know if he'll stay how long he'll stay in the NBA. Um, but boy is he fun! Really like that guy.
0: He's a ton of fun. You mentioned him being unpredictable. I still remember one of the post games. He walked in in full uniform and flip flops post game to do his uh, presser there. But he had some definitely high moments this season. What else uh, do you want to talk about as far as just um, his best moments from this season?
1: I mean, just the way that he shot the ball out of the gate was really impressive. Uh, I I've kind of joked about him shooting well and he ended up really doing it and that that was quite impressive. Uh, This isn't a loss to Boston, but he had 16 points, 14 boards, three assists, a steal and three blocks against the Celtics early on in the season. He had 17 and 10 against Milwaukee. Uh I mean, the guy played well during stretches, certainly against Cleveland, against like the big front line of Cleveland. He had 16, 14 and five. I mean, there were it wasn't a complete mirage that this guy was playing well. And I, I hate that he got hurt when he did. He, he wasn't having his best stretch of the season anyways. Whenever he got hurt, you know, his minutes were kind of up and down all around and uh, it was a shame that he got hurt when he did, because uh, I do think that he was starting to to build on something. He started the year really strong, and it kind of started to wax and wane. And that's just kind of how it is with a lot of young players. Um, but yeah, as far as highlights go, just the fact that he started, you know, whenever the the season started, they played against Minnesota. It was like, okay, who's going to be who's going to start next to Jeremiah Robinson Earl? It's like, nope. Not Jeremiah Robinson Earl. It's Poku, everybody. It's Poku and Kenrich, which is, uh, that would make for a really good, like, buddy cop show. I'd watch
0: that show. I would, too. Yeah, Kenrich and Poku. But, yeah, against Towns and Gobert, that's the starting lineup that they throw out there. But I agree with you. Poku definitely improved um, over his first 20 games of the season. He averaged nearly a block and a half per game, including five games with three blocks and a season-high four blocks against the Raptors. My first game that I got to go to in person to cover the team was a an out of body experience where it was Poku versus Bull Bull, but um,
1: oh, definitely a man. fun season. That was a fun game, man. Bull is uh, quite an experience, man. That guy is so much fun to watch. I don't know if he's any good, but he's really
0: fun to watch. I feel like we'd have that discussion about so many guys. Like I don't know if he's any good at all, but he's he's very very enjoyable. Yeah. But uh, what were yeah. some of the lowest moments on the other end for Poku?
1: I mean, it's got to be the injury. I mean, he missed such a big chunk of the season. And seeing him in those crutches was, it was just really sad. (laughs) It was just really sad. And then the team kind of takes off and kind of starts to figure some things out. Whether that is because Poku's gone or not, like, I don't know. I think it certainly is a part of it that, you know, I think Jay Will is a better NBA player already than Poku is just because he's a little bit more in control. And he, he has like very specific things that he does. And the thing about the thunder with their development, and Marcus said this, that they let the players be in the driver's seat of their development. And, you know, Jay will was a role player at Arkansas, you know, that's, he knew what his role was there, came to the NBA. He wanted to be a a stretch big that took a lot of charges and was a good passer, and like that's what he is in the NBA. Poku is still just still a little bit of a blank slate as to what he is, and they want him to be able to figure that out. And there's pros and cons to that method of development. I think, you know, they don't want to box anybody in. They don't want to force anybody into a role where they don't have a chance to expand their game. But when you're Poku and you're like, I am Michael Jordan. And you're like, no, you're not. And he's just like, yes, I am. And like, that's it, makes it tough for him. But he had really started to figure some stuff out. And the fact that he got hurt, I think, I think he could have continued to improve, even if he's just like a bench big for them. Um, but things are uncertain for Poku going into next year. Uh, not only with his contract situation, he's up for an extension this summer. Will they give him one? I have no idea. What number do you start at? I have no idea. Um, is that something that the Thunder are interested in? I don't know. Is that something Poku's interested in? I don't know. I don't really have any clue about any of that. Um, but he still has a long way to go with his development if he's going to make it. But he's shown signs of improvement. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still, still very much in process with Poku. I'm, I, I'm not done with them. I know a lot of people are, but I'm not ready to be done with Poku yet.
0: I'm right there with you. I completely agree. I think that the leg injury was kind of the worst thing that could have happened this season, but I am ready for contract your Poku. What would you give him a grade <laughs> as this season?
1: Oh man, probably like a C, a C plus. You know, there were highs and lows and, you know, he can't control the injury. He came back from injury and he couldn't really go, especially in a super competitive environment. Um, So, yeah, probably C+. It wasn't great, but it, I mean, could have easily given him like an F the past couple of years. So, you know, he's improved like he... He definitely improved, and I know that you can hindsight his season as much as you want, and you can line up data his season all you want, but you can't tell me that he didn't improve from last year. I mean he definitely did,
0: yeah, I haven't mentioned c plus two and then something you hit on about telling him he's not Michael Jordan. I remember a couple of years ago he said something to the effect of I've really got to stop comparing myself to Kevin Durant, and everyone's looking at him it's like. Who who told you to do that? <laughs> but Poku is definitely a one of one. What, what do you think he needs to work on next season um, exclusively, or not exclusively,
1: but outside of just his uh, comps for himself? Uh, everything. He's got to get better at everything. He's got to be a better rebounder. He's got to be more physical. He's got to continue to improve his shot. Uh, and he's got to continue to get stronger. That's the number one thing with him. Is like I talked. I tried to talk to a lot of scouts throughout the year, and the one thing that kept coming up with scouts about him is like, if he doesn't get stronger, he won't make it. And he has gotten stronger, but he's got to take that up another notch. So, to me, that's the that's the thing that if we were to zero in on one thing that he's got to continue to improve, it's just his strength, and it's in his upper body. You know, his he's actually got pretty decent strength in his lower body, but upper body. If he doesn't get stronger, he just won't make it. Like he's not a good enough shooter. He's not really that. He's not really skilled enough for him to be able to make it. If he was like crazy, and he he is skilled, but he's not NBA skilled, like multi-skilled. Like he's got to me. If he's gonna make it, it's gonna be through improve strength and conditioning and just kind of zeroing in on maybe like a few things that he does well but it all starts with like can the body actually get there because he's gonna be a big and if you're gonna be a big in this league you you either have to be crazy skilled like Chet is like I think Chet is is crazy skilled enough for it to to not totally matter how skinny he is Poku's not Poku's got, got to improve physically and some of that may not be up to him. You know, some some people's bodies can only take on so much muscle and can only improve so much. And that that might be like ultimately the thing that ends up sending Poku back to Europe is just like his inability to improve his body enough to play in this physical of a league. So to me, it's... It, It's probably the same answer as it was two years ago, but I think that still kind of stands.
0: Yeah, body's number one, and then just consistency. Like you mentioned, he's skilled, but sometimes it's like the mystery box in Call of Duty Zombies where you just kind of roll it, and it's like, okay, let's see what Poku's skill is going to be. What's he pulling out today? And it's like, oh, he can't shoot today. Or now he's going to block everything. So it's going to be very interesting for him. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. But Andrew, thank you so much for making time and coming on today. I want to give you a chance to plug all the things you have going on with the NBA Morning Slam and Jam on The Athletic. That's one of my favorite shows. We've talked about it a lot with trivia, but just some of the stuff you have going on during the offseason.
1: Still rolling with The Athletic NBA Show. We have a YouTube channel now, so go check that out. We have all of our shows on YouTube. We have some special stuff that we're doing there, too. Marcus Thompson wrote a piece about Steph Curry's speech. That he gave on the Athletic, and we did like a short little video about that uh, on our YouTube page. So you can search the Athletic NBA Show on YouTube, hit subscribe to that. That would be the biggest thing you could do for me right now. Uh, and then if you're if you want more Thunder content, down to dunk the OKC Dream Team on Patreon.com. Um, yeah, those are probably the the things that we're working on most and then Saturday slam and jam every week on Saturday morning. Uh, and that's on YouTube as well. So if you want to watch that on YouTube, you can do that too. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me, man.
0: Anytime. And I appreciate you taking some time off my hands, working with one of the biggest prima dominant uh, prima donnas in
1: the business and Joe Masato. I, he's just, uh, he's, Joe, impossible. he's a stallion. We've, we've got to, we got to get, get, uh, get a hold of joe masato here he's he's a wild man but no i i love joe i love working side by side with joe um and uh yeah big shouts to joe masato go read joe masato
0: absolutely read everything joe does but thanks again for coming on make sure to like like subscribe comment rate us five stars on apple spotify wherever you get your podcasts we're the thunder buddies we are at thunderbud pod on twitter and we'll be back again for more thunder talk on Friday.